0: Is your office culture and vision exactly what you want? Do you have the team you really want to work with? Is your practice growing the way you want it to? Or maybe are you working the number of days you want to work? Well, the answer to these is no. Don't feel bad because you're like the typical orthodontist. And today's time with Corwin Smith may help you. Now, he's an amazing businessman with a great entrepreneurial story. And he's one of the country's most recognized coaches. So, as I tell you every time... Buckle up, or get on the treadmill, or grab a drink, because today's time with Corwin Smith is not time that you want to miss. This, this, this is the Orthopreneur Show with Glenn Krieger, talking about the things you never learned in school, like marketing, management, and leadership. Hey, everybody, it's Glenn Krieger here, and I am here with someone I just met not too long ago. Comes remarkably highly recommended to me by someone who I respect, and it's going to be very interesting as we learn a little bit about his face and what he does to help practices and businesses succeed. So uh, let me, without any further ado, let me welcome Corwin Smith to the Orthopreneurs Podcast. Welcome, Corwin.
1: Yeah, thanks, Glenn. Glad to be
0: on the show. Yeah, and a little bit I've already gotten to know about you, and I, I can't wait to learn more as we move through this. Your story is a great one, and to everybody out there, in full disclosure, we started talking, and I said, time out. Let's start this over again. Let's let everybody hear this because I think it's important. And you may not have ever seen it before Corwin, but I actually once interviewed my Uber driver. So, because she had a great story about a big line and what have you. So, uh, I do these kinds of, hey, that seems really cool. Let's step backwards and start this conversation over again. Cool. So, um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your history, and uh, we'll take it from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, Glenn, I'm really an accidental entrepreneur. While I was uh, studying, getting my undergrad at ASU here in Arizona, I was doing sales, calling on orthopedic surgeons for a medical uh, imaging group. And uh, about two years into that and, you know, making a nice living, getting all the accolades from peers and family members telling, hey, Cora, when you're doing great. And what I uncovered and discovered is I was just wildly unfulfilled doing it. And uh, about that same time, one of my roommates worked for a small local disaster restoration company construction company
0: a disaster restoration
1: that's right disaster recovery so we really got involved when people had their worst you know day or week you know they had a flood or a fire in their home or business yeah So he invited me out on some after hours calls and, you know, coming from a background of working with orthopedic surgeons and being, you know, in a very white collar environment, I was totally taken back with the way these companies ran. It was like the Wild West, you know, you didn't really have consistent labor. You hire guys that were pretty scary looking, frankly, to go work in people's homes. It was ugly. And so I saw an opportunity. So I started a company in that same industry and that was right before my junior year. Uh, at ASU. And uh, we grew the company quickly. Within two years, we hit a million and a half in revenue, uh, graduated from ASU's business school about two years later. And the irony is, Glenn, and I feel like relate so much to folks that are in medicine, that business school taught me nothing of value, right? Sure. Business schools today are really wired for and geared to people that are going to go work in a Fortune 2000 company. Right. Small business, middle market even, they're not that helpful. And so my daughter,
0: my own daughter, who's in college now in Arizona. Yeah. Not a Sun Devil. She's a wildcat. Hey, I'm indifferent, really. You know, I at one point tried to talk her out of college because I'm a big fan of Gary V. Yep, that's right. And he always talks about how what's really on the street, and I'm sure this applies to business school to some extent, what's really on the street doesn't trickle down into the academic environment very quickly. And by the time you go through school to learn something, say, like marketing, what you're learning in school is already outdated for what's happening on the street. That's right. I don't know if you found that in business school, but I tried to talk my daughter out of out of college and said, go intern somewhere for a couple of years in a company about marketing because that's what she wants. But how did you find that with business school? I know you said it didn't do you a whole lot of good.
1: It was the same thing, and I was probably a bad student. You know, I mean, I showed up to class when I had to, and did the homework to get by, and I, I got good enough grades, but I, I wasn't really plugged in. But I discovered a trend or theme with peers of mine, as uh, I was a member of entrepreneurs organization, that we'd go listen to great speakers, we'd get pumped up, we'd get some really nice theory about business, no different than business school actually. And then what happened is I'd come back to my company, and I'd start to create flavor of the week. Or flavor of the month, if you will. And what this resulted in is we grew from a million and a half to four and a half million in one year in a 12 month time frame, And we literally grew the company broke.
0: Amazing. What and that, what's that? What does that mean? You know, for us out here in orthodontic world, we think more new patients, bigger practice, amazing stuff, right? My, if, if you could tell any orthodontist that you went from 1.5 to four and a half million in one year, they would say, wow, that would be like, i that's all I need. But tell us what that means when you say you grew the company growth. Yeah, so it looks
1: incredibly sexy, Glenn. And frankly, mentors of mine said, Corwin, don't grow your company that fast. You're going to have problems. And I didn't listen to him. And part of it was because I didn't understand the financials of my business at all. Um, at a high level, I knew... What sales looked like, I knew what net profit looked like, how things trickled through a profit and loss statement, I couldn't tell you, and which levers and dials would impact uh, the balance sheet and back and forth, I didn't know. And so you know, on the tail end of growing 300 percent in one year, we had maxed out our line of credit, had no money left in the bank account, and had to go home and tell my wife, "Hey, those checks we're getting, they're on pause, and we' got to put some money into fund payroll." But the other thing that happened too, Glenn, was I'd unconsciously built a really awful company culture. You know, I'd seen the Googles of the world. I'd seen Facebooks and, and all these big companies that are the show ponies of media. The way they built culture, what I thought was they put in the slushy machines and the open bar and more vacation. And so I tried all those tactics, right? I tried all the quote unquote company culture building tactics. And what I found is I built a ton of entitled jerks. Wow. And, and it was my fault, by the way, I was a hundred percent responsible for it because I didn't know how to build company culture. But really what I discovered was this was the way that I ran my company. It was like taking these philosophy and tactics from a bunch of different areas and then kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see what stuck. And if it didn't, then I'd take it away. And if it did, then I'd keep doing it. But I wasn't sure why. So peers of mine, an entrepreneur's organization, They told me, they said, hey, Corwin, you got to read this book called Scaling Up. It was written by Vern Harnish, who founded Entrepreneurs' Organization back in the late 80s. And Scaling Up is really like an operating system for a business, right? So most people today have smartphones. And if you have a smartphone, you either have Android or you have iOS. And then laying on top of that uh, operating system, you have different apps, you know, like email, Facebook, fill in the blank. And Scaling Up is much the same way in that it's like an operating system for a company. And so I hired a coach, read the book, and through implementing Scaling Up, I got a framework to finally grow my company, to finally grow a company culture that I could be proud of. We got some really nice uh, PR press for it, create a strategy so that we could be differentiated from our competitors. We're in a highly competitive industry here in Phoenix. It's very saturated. Develop the systems and processes so the thing would run like a clock and just tick without me having to do much, right? I mean, it was so much that before I ended up exiting, I was working about 10 hours a week, and it was just being in a handful of key meetings that were really the heartbeat of the organization, right? Because the company ran itself. And then finally, figuring out how to accelerate cash and bigger than that, how do the financials actually work? And what are the seven different levers that I have to be focused on as CEO? And I know that as long as we are focused on these seven different levers, we're going to be okay.
0: And by the way, for the record, all of this is well after you've left business school. Business school did nothing,
1: by the way. I try to talk everyone out of going to business school. Here's the one case for business school, actually, Glenn, and I've seen it with peers of mine. If you go to a top 10 program, you get dialed into a really nice network. Right. I didn't know that, right? My dad... You know, he's failed over and over at business. He'd tell you the same. None of my parents would, neither of my parents went to college. So it was like, hey, college is a good idea, but if you don't, no big deal. Yeah. And so I kind of checked the box.
0: And then you leave business school, you get on your own. You, you actually successfully grow back a business. Small miracle. Yeah. But to, to find out that you're not really becoming any more profitable. Yeah, and, that's right. So as a result, you learn these seven tech, seven. What are the words you used again? Seven yeah, so ones?
1: there's seven levers, seven financial levers that you have to keep an eye on as you grow and scale a company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what happened and really what scaling up highlights is that there's four simple decisions that companies have to get right to drive and scale growth, right? So the first decision really centers around people. And it's all about building a culture of accountability, right? Building a culture of accountability. And bigger than that, liking the people you work with. I meet a lot of CEOs that when I ask them if they'd enthusiastically rehire their team, they wince, you know? And it's yeah. usually, well, it's hard to find people or, you know, I get a myriad of excuses, but the fact is a players like to play with other a players.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in our industry, if you were a yeah. hundred orthodontists, what's the number one thing that they would change if they could, it's take HR off their plate because yeah. And this is by no means a knock on the people that we work with, but yeah. you, I find it hard to believe you're going to find many industries like orthodontics, where you have somebody who's gone through four years of college, four years of dental school, and two to three years of orthoresidency, right. working predominantly with people who haven't even gone to college, That's right. as direct reports. So if you think about a CEO, usually a vice president, they've got a C-suite of people around them. And those people have direct reports and those people have direct reports. So the guy working or gal working in the warehouse who you know maybe has a checkered criminal past in the warehouse or in college, so the opportunity wasn't there, the CEO doesn't interact with them directly. But for us in orthodontics, most of the time, most of those out there listening right now, they've hired their own. They are the CTO, the COO, the CEO, the president, the vice president. And they're head of HR yeah. And the challenge we face is when you ask, would you hire these people again? The answer is no a lot of the time because the personalities and the training are so radically different than the person who's doing the hiring that it's really hard to understand that. And yeah. some unique uh, challenges just in that alone, because let's be honest, the overwhelming majority of orthodontists wanna look at better and read books and go to CE seminars. And the vast majority of folks who we employ you know, you give them a book, they'll read it if you pay them. You know, and we have those exceptions. But in twenty-seven years of practice, myself, I've yet to meet the entire team that's really enthusiastic about taking home a book and reading it while they feed their three children. Many of them single parents. Yeah. try it work through. So that's always been a challenge for us. And if you've got a secret out there, we'll we'll take it. Anytime.
1: Well, it's really a balance, Glenn. What I've uncovered, I've, I've got a client today, they have uh, 400 remote workers across North America. And so the CEO almost never interacts with these workers. But when we first kicked off, it was 13 months ago, their turnover was atrocious. I mean, literally atrocious. And so one of the first things we did is we really clearly developed their company culture and it centered around having real core values and a real purpose for the company and transformed how they hired. And so they have people that are technically temp workers, right? And that they work only when they want to, they set their schedules kind of similar to an Uber type model. The second thing is they're paid 15 to $20 an hour. They're definitely not college grads. And what we discovered and uncovered was if they hired workers with these three specific traits, they'd win. The first was they were hungry. So they were driven. Maybe today, you know, they weren't where they wanted to be, but they had aspirations for something bigger. Usually their first job actually was during high school, you know, They didn't finally get their first job after, you know, they graduated college. The second thing was they were humble, meaning they knew their weak spots, but they were also coachable. And then finally, they were smart and smarts relative, right? These folks aren't necessarily going to go out and write a PhD thesis, but they're smart within their realm and they're smart within their roles. And so what we uncovered is if we found folks that are hungry, humble, and smart, we can grow them and they'll grow with the company. But if they don't have those three traits and they don't live the values, all bets are off.
0: Yeah, I agree. With you.
1: And I've seen it repeatedly over and over. Industries really don't matter. It's finding the ones that are hungry, humble, and smart that also live your unique values or culture for your company. You'll see miracles happen.
0: Nice. So when yeah. you when you found yourself in that trouble, yeah, right, and uh, you started learning about the seven. You read the book. You learned how to. Yeah. Where did you start? Where did you go first? Was it starting? Because you talked about your culture being a problematic, toxic, perhaps yeah um, where did you start you know many people listening right now have the orthodontic practice that's not the one they want yeah they may not be making enough money they may not have the team they want those be yeah. directly related to one another yeah uh, where do you start where do you go from here well so
1: here's what i discovered glenn was the culture of a company is really the foundation for success right and so greg brenneman he turned around uh, Continental Airlines. And what he said was he had a a phrase he used, which was right away and all at once when he was doing the turnaround, right? This is a multi billion dollar effort. And so it was a similar thing in my company that we really had to focus on setting up our culture, if you will, our hand rules, core values, and purpose. We had to do a bit of work around defining who our best customers were because, frankly, not all customers are good customers, right? I love the case of IKEA, for instance, right? So IKEA, strategically, they've made a very narrow decision on who they're going to serve. And they serve people that are looking for good price, affordable furniture that they don't mind assembling themselves, right? And so they've made trade-offs to be able to serve those customers, but they're wildly profitable because of it. And so we had to shift our focus around what customers we were serving versus which ones we weren't, which meant for us. A lot of our competitors wanted big jobs, big projects, $20,000 plus projects, you know, $200,000, $300,000 projects. That's what they wanted. Well, we discovered if, if the project was over $20,000 from a repair perspective, construction perspective, we we're going to lose every time. So we started referring those over to our competitors. We said, hey, we're not a good fit for the project. Call one of these three companies. And we went deeper on our, our zones of genius there. The third piece is I gave people their brains back. And when I say that, what I mean is we developed really clear job scorecards. A lot of people have job descriptions, and this just isn't in orthodontics. It's in every single industry I see. They build these job descriptions that, frankly, the last time people looked at them was when they were hired and then maybe pulled back out when they were fired, like, hey, you didn't live the job description, so you're fired. They're like, well, I didn't know I had a job description, right? Versus a job scorecard, which really clearly lines out, hey, here's what you're... What's uh, expected of you? Here's the skills and competencies you need to succeed. Here's the values. And then doing quarterly uh, coaching around their performance on job scorecards. And then setting up the right meeting rhythms is the next thing we did so that we had a daily huddle that only lasted 13 minutes. And so, as CEO, I could get enough information in 13 minutes to know how we were doing on a handful of key areas. Things like what was our cash position? What was our AR position? One of the things that happened is our AR got stretched out to 67 days. So if you talk to most of our industry peers, they're like, hey, Corwin, your insurance reimbursed, that's that's great. 67 days is cool. But we weren't okay with that. And so what happened is we took our AR from 67 to 23 days. And it came down to developing strategies around the people that paid us and making sure that they got taken care of by us. They felt the love from us, but also we compressed the cycle times. And then the third thing was having weekly meetings where it went from Corwin or even my managers that I had reinforcing accountability to, peers started to hold each other accountable. Everyone had a handful of KPIs they reported in on. They had a handful of priorities for the next 90 days that were both personal growth as an individual contributing to the company, but also helping grow the company. And they were reporting in on how they were doing. And if they were falling below the bar, they got coaching from peers. And so it went from Corwin trying to hold everyone accountable and you know, massage this whole thing to, it felt like we were all rowing in the same direction.
0: Nice. So we're, just going back for a moment, let's take this into the orthodontic realm. That's so right. Some, so you have, let's say, four assistants in your practice. One of them is just not cutting mustard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they mean well. Maybe they're not smart enough. Maybe they're not talented enough. Yeah. So before it comes to Corwin's death, the team has invariably worked together to try to solve this, offering yeah. feedback, offering coaching, offering training. That's uh, right. And help them any way they can. Then it gets to the point where you realize this person is just not coachable, or right? they're right. not or they're not interested, or they don't match the core values. Yep. Uh, where does it go from there?
1: So you know, I'm going to ask a stupid question, Glenn. Have you ever been a bat in a bad relationship before?
0: Just once. My yeah. wife listening in behind me. Yeah. So.
1: I have, right? And I'll tell the truth. I've been in a lot of bad relationships till I got in a relationship with my wife. Exactly. And the thing I learned, Glenn, is like every bad relationship I was in as unhappy as I was, they were equally as unhappy. Yeah. There just wasn't the impetus to make a change until there was, until I broke it off or they broke it off. And so what I uncovered was when we have those people that are, you know, falling below the bar, if you will, sitting down and having a weekly coaching conversation with them. And I don't let this thing run for any longer than six weeks. It starts week one. Hey, let's pull out your job scorecard. Here's the competencies or the other side of accountability is you're not doing and give them a simple red, yellow, green rating. And uh, here's where you need to improve. Now, Jim, we're going to meet next week at the same time for 30 minutes this time. And we're going to talk about your progress from this week. And Either you're getting better or you're not. And we're only going to meet for six weeks. And after six weeks, you haven't improved. What do you think we should do, Jim? And you ask people. They're not stupid. They'll usually say, I probably need to quit or find a new job. One of the hardest cases of this was when I implemented this system in my company, and it was actually with one of my division managers. And he was there in the meeting when our coach rolled this process out with us as a team and taught us how to use it. And we figured out, and everyone pointed out, that he wasn't living our values. He's what we call a C-player
0: trap. I mean, he's a high-performing jerk. Wow. Yeah. So, not a good, so it wasn't that he was incompetent. Oh, he was very competent. He was just a jerk. He was just not a nice person.
1: He didn't live the values. So it. we'll call him Ted. That's not his real name to protect the innocent here. And so we sat down with him every week. We said, hey, Ted, you're still crushing it on these you know, KPIs here, but you're still not living these values. And by week five, he'd turn his resignation in and found a new job. And that was the case consistently. We had a couple people that we had to terminate after the six weeks. And what happened was, is there was really no question in their mind. They were crystal clear. And I felt like it was the most humane thing to do. It
0: makes perfect sense. Yeah. What are some good examples of core values that someone might not be living up to?
1: Well, let's flip it on its head, right? So that client I shared with you about that has the 350 outside reps, I was given some coaching to the CEO actually last week. And she said, hey, I'm struggling with this individual. And I said, hey, let's pull out your core values that you've created yourself. And which one of these values is is this person not living? Because we got to tie all the coaching we do back to values. Right. And she said, Well, she's not living obsessed with success. And the other thing she's not living is do the right thing. I said, Great. I said, So here's the next step. When you say she's not living obsessed with the success, I need specific examples that you're going to give to her to show her that she's not living obsessed with success. And then the same for do the right thing. And so what happens is, and it's really similar to the training I got around parenting, which, you know, time will tell how it looks, but. It gives me a little bit more confidence around parenting is just have a handful of rules. Repeat yourself often. And then when you're giving praise, tie it back to those rules. And if you're giving discipline, tie it back to those rules. Sounds great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm out there. I'm listening to this. I'm an orthodontist. I go, my God, this is like the problem I'm facing. Yeah. i not engaged. Practice might be growing and I'm not taking home what I'd like. And I really want to start working on my culture. So where does Corwin come into the picture? How do I say, wow, this guy seems pretty cool and he he seems to have a track record of success. I'd like to learn more about implementing this in my world.
1: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So I work with companies in one of two ways. I host uh, workshops every quarter here in Phoenix. You can come, you can bring your team, you can come by yourself. In a day, we go through the four decisions that companies have to get right to drive and scale growth, people, strategy, execution, and cash. And it's not really high-level theory, Glenn. It's, hey- Here's the theory concept. Here's the tool, and here's how you implement it in your business, right? And by the way, these tools have been used for companies that are startups all the way through. uh, Atlassian, based out of Australia, they sold for 4.7 billion. RackSpace is a famous one in Texas, 4.3 billion. So these tools will take you where you want to go. And then the other thing is, I take on a handful of clients a year in private coaching, and that's where I come in, shoulder to shoulder with the CEO and the leadership team and I'm helping them bolt in these tools. And it's really a combination of business coaching and training, right? So one of my close friends, he was in orthopedic residency, and I asked him a question, because I figured he'd tell me the truth. Why do you have to work 100 hours a week, right? That's crazy. I said, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, you know, he said, Gordon, he said, in medical school, I basically just learned theory. He's like, I didn't learn anything about how to be a good physician. He said, so I've got four years plus some Fellowship to learn how to be a good orthopedic surgeon, and so what this program is like it 's similar to residency, in that we learn the theory behind it, but then we learn the tools, and the whole idea here is to teach people how to fish for themselves. I hired a lot of consultants in my company, some of them helped me grow my company, others frankly probably created more problems than they than not and what I uncovered was I felt like a lot of these consultants created what I call consultant crack, meaning. <laughs> They gave me the solution to the problem or try this, but they didn't teach me how to think for myself. And so that's really what this system and framework is all about. It's coaching and training so that you as a CEO can empower your people to be able to think for yourselves and solve problems for yourselves.
0: Nice. Yeah. So before we get off the call for this, this podcast episode, tell me a little bit about, number one, how does anybody get a hold of you? Sure. Learning more. Yep. Number two. Well, you can get that one out of the way first, and then I'll uh, I'll follow up with a couple of questions.
1: Yeah. So if you go to docs d o c s dot dot com, I've got, I've actually got a whole little miniature ebook there that really is the five things that physicians should do in their practice to help reduce the chaos and help them rise a bit above the water uh, water line that they're under. And then there's contact information. There for me also, if you want to have a, a breakthrough call, we could have a breakthrough call and really discover what's going on for you. I'm not a good fit for every CEO or business owner. And if I'm not, frankly, I'll refer you out to someone else that is. Or maybe it's just simply, hey, attend this seminar or read this book.
0: Right. And what about those out there who would say, well, Corlin's not an orthodontist. He doesn't understand the orthodontic space. And, you know, What, what would be – because I know someone out there is thinking that. It's not me, but uh, there are some.
1: I don't blame them. Actually, when I got into the pickle, I got into, I had actually hired the most well-respected restoration consultants in the industry. And when I ran out of cash, I'm going to them with the problems. They're like, well, you need to do these things, but they were just giving me little tidbits, right. Versus an operating system. You know, I run into it over and over Well, you're you didn't run a software company or you didn't run a such and such company. And it's like this, if we were working together and I was helping you be a better orthodontist, we both have a problem, right? I, I never coach my clients around how to be better at their craft. It's all about the people decision, all about strategy, systems and processes, and then finally accelerating cash. So really these tools and processes are industry agnostic.
0: Nice. So typically how, so I, I guess I'm, I want to ask a couple of questions and yeah. I don't know the order, but I'll try it. If one were to go to the workshop, yeah. let's just say, you said either you can bring your team or you can come by yourself. That's if right. You to the workshop, would you recommend that they come to the workshop by themselves to start the first time? Or do you say, hey, I've got eight team members. I'm flying them out to Phoenix, but we're going to hit this thing hard. What's are the yeah. things only the CEO should hear there? Or is it really, this is an open book and everybody's really on the same page?
1: I'm a big believer in vulnerability as CEO and admitting where my weaknesses are. And what I've discovered is that CEOs that come and they involve their team in the process, business owners, they get way bigger results because instead of Glenn having to do scaling up to his company or his team, they're all bought in together. They went, they saw the tools, they saw the possibility, and they all want to drive this, this implementation together versus coming back like I did so many times and I had the flavor of the week and I tried to implement it and I'm the only one driving the implementation. And then finally, after four or five weeks, I'm burned out. I'm like, I'm tired of eating, fighting you guys. versus having the team come together and co-create it. And then they're bought in because they co-created it with me.
0: And I've done that before with, out in your neck of the woods, actually, the Schuster Center for Professional Development was out in Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah. I brought my whole team three times uh, during the course of the year, and it's totally useful. Awesome. If one were to come to the workshop, um, what would be their take home? What would be their goal? Right. I take my whole team, I I fly them out to the workshop. How long is the workshop for? It's a full day. So it's a one-day workshop. That's right. I flew in in the evening. The next day, we do our workshop. We fly home. What is my takeaway goal and and timeline for, for the message I'm going to receive?
1: So the first thing, Glenn, is you fly out. Before you come out to the workshop, I'm going to have a call with you as CEO, and I'm going to figure out what are you going to pull out of that workshop, right? Because you're investing a lot of time and money to come to the workshop. I want to find out what's the 20% that's going to make 80% of a difference in your company. And I'm going to help focus and hone you in on that. And then during the workshop, I'm going to make sure you get that. Whether it's around the people decision, the strategy decision, the execution decision, or the cash decision, I'm going to help you be hyper focused in getting the results out of that chunk of the workshop. And then, I mean, these are like literally next day you can go plug them into your company and start seeing results. Now, the idea here is you're starting a new habit within your company. So, the results compound over 90 days and even longer. Nice.
0: Yeah. So one of the most common responses I get when I talk about business yeah. you know, with orthodontists, there's two responses I'll hear. One, oh, my business is good enough for me. Sure. Know? It's good enough. And I guess I respect the fact that for some, you know, uh, a certain trajectory of growth or a flat trajectory of growth or what they got is enough for them. And far be it for me to tell people, you know, they should, they should have a bigger practice. Um, for me, even if you keep the same size practice to go look to work less hours That's or right. have a the team or have lower stress, people tend to think that when I say I'm working on my business, it means I want to get bigger. And that doesn't necessarily translate. You know, just yeah. the other day I had a post on, online and people were like, well, you know, what if I'm happy where I am? And my response was nobody's happy where they are. That's There's right. not a soul on the planet who's happy where they are. It's like, hey, you know what? I am working exactly the number of days I want to work. I could never want to work less. I'm making exactly the money I want to take home. I could never want to make a drop more. I'm as happy as a human being could possibly be in the practice, and I can never imagine being any happier. I mean, this is just a fairy tale. It doesn't exist like that. That's right. I think once we pull out of the whole concept of, you know, well, for me to be happier, I need to make more money and I need to work more days. You know, we can all get our practices, our businesses better than they are. Yeah. You know, maybe I can do a better outcome You know, maybe I need more hours and continuing education and I want to take off more time. There's always some place where, you know, you say, well, I'm already very happy. Yeah, but you can be a lot happier. Um, and that's the first thing I just want to throw out there real quick. Yeah. And the second one, which is the one that really sort of, you know, I, I don't know, it gets my blood pressure up a little bit because we're all business owners, right? And people say, well, I just not have time. i not time. You know, my business. Things aren't the way they want and I don't want to take that CE course. I don't want to go to that meeting. I don't want to join that group because I just don't have time for it. Um, you know, and and you know, of course, with a baby on the way, you know, life is busy and you have children and it's important. But a lot of people say, well, I just don't have time to invest in your company. And I'm trying to sit there and say, you don't have the family life to not take the time. You need to. This is Uh your child. Right. Um, um, and what would you tell for the folks out there who go, you know what, I really wish I could make our practice better. I really wish I could take those trips. I really wish I could go to this workshop. But I got to tell you, I got a family and I, I just can't do this. That's right.
1: Yeah. So Marshall Goldsmith is a famous CEO coach and he wrote a book and the title really nails it, which is what got you here won't get you there. And, you know, Einstein said something along the lines of, you know, the thinking that got us to where we are today is going to be the same thinking that keeps us from getting where we need to be.
0: I love that.
1: You got to invest the time and you got to invest the resources and and I mean the results for me have always been 10x or better. You know, the most successful, you know, physicians, parents, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you craft is, uh, CEOs, it really comes down to training. Mark Cuban, that guy spends 4 hours a day learning, right? Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg are fam- famous for their think weeks. They spend a whole week Reading books and thinking. That's great. They're they're involved with some of the largest corporations in
0: the world and they have
1: time to do it.
0: I remember when I, I used to years ago when I first started my dental practice back in the late nineties, I would yeah. drive about twenty five minutes each way listening to audiobooks, you know, zig-zag. yeah That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All Nightingale press kind of stuff. Yeah. Um I remember there was one, I'll keep this person nameless, but they had a ten step program, right? The famous ten step program yeah he was a famous basketball coach uh, yeah who perennially had a winning championship team and he had nine steps of things you needed to do to make your practice or your life better but number 10 has stuck with me since then he said number 10 is repeat steps one through nine all the time right because if you just get to be quote unquote successful and stop you're going to stagnate and just like money if you have a hundred dollars today and choose not to grow one penny more Inflation will begin to devalue your $100 until you have nothing left. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I, I want to see people get excited about their businesses and excited yes. about their practices. And folks like you get my juices going a little bit. Go so I guess at this point of the game, people can get a hold of you through the email or the, the, the link that you mentioned earlier. Yep. One, one more time
1: docs. DOCS.transcendgrowth.com D-O-C-S. And on there, there'll be that little ebook. It's really the five things that you can do to reduce chaos in your practice to get today and get it back on the track for growth. Free PDF there. And if you want to check out the workshops, really simple, workshop.transcendgrowth.com. Really clever
0: branding on my part, if you can't tell. So what is that, about 350 letters? Yeah, exactly. That again, if you say it one more time.
1: Yeah, so workshop.transcendgrowth.com.
0: Workshop.transcendgrowth.com. That's right. Uh, yep. So last question for you, well, I have a couple of questions for you, but the last legitimate question I have for you, I assume you've worked with orthodontists before. I'm guessing that there's been at least one or two that you've worked with at some point along the way, right?
1: That's actually, orthodontists specifically, I haven't. So Jackie Demco had attended one of my workshops. I've coached uh, physical, Jackie, Jackie's fabulous. So I've coached a physical therapy group, for instance, the CEO in 24 months, they grew from four to 24 practices. He ended up selling to private equity and riding off in the sunset.
0: So, so let me rephrase the question. Yeah, healthcare you know, industry before. I would suspect the most important thing for anybody you're going to work with is going to be them being clear on the vision of what it is they want moving forward. Or is that something that you're going to work with them on is to figure out based upon their priorities in life to help them sort of distill their own vision of where they want to head and then help them get there
1: yeah so really what it comes down to glenn if they're coachable meaning they're willing to take the coaching and actually try it on the next thing is they're committed to getting results we can we can we can figure it out so some people they get so wrapped up in their practice that it's like they're running on the hamster wheel and they haven't paused to figure out what do i want in the next 10 years and so a piece of that is figuring out what do you want in the next 10 years. And then how do we engineer your company to get you there? That was really simple. And it doesn't matter if you're in orthodontics or if you're in manufacturing, it's the same process I do with every CEO, because fundamentally your business is a vehicle. And whether it's a vehicle for you to build a certain lifestyle and income or to make a certain impact and change in the world, it's a vehicle. And so we got to figure out first, where do you want to get to? So we can reverse engineer that into the planning and the strategies we take with your team.
0: on. So it's not one size fits all. Cause like, as you mentioned, one person may want to sell out the private equity. Yeah. Somebody else may say, look, I've got four young children at home and I'm a single mom and I just want to work two days a week and make a good enough income to feed my family and be happy trips, and do whatever I want to do.
1: I actually coached a marketing firm, uh, marketing and ad agency, co-CEOs, two ladies. They wanted to work three days a week and be moms. The other two. And so over a period of 18 months, we got their business engineer to produce the income they wanted. But the other piece of it too was set their team up to run the company so they could work three days a week and play mom the other two. Yeah,
0: And I want to be crystal clear at this point to make it clear to everybody out there. You and I, I have no financial interest with you of any kind. That's right. Yep. Before today, I'd never even met you. I'd heard great things about you from Jackie. But as we started talking, I was so intrigued by the message. I said, you know what? We got to record this and let other people hear this because I, it's folks like you have that really helped me grow in my career. And, you know, the issue, the only and I, I'm not ashamed to say it, we face in orthodontics that works both in and against our favor is that most orthodontists, I exclude myself from this statement, are really bright people. That's right. They graduated top of their dental school class. They went into a very selective field where It's tougher to get into Harvard Business School than it is an orthodontic program. I'm sorry. It's harder to get into ortho than- That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very elite. And some are so smart that they're hard to coach. And others have gotten where they've gotten because they're easy to coach. And so my sincerest hope is that people listening to this embrace the message that none of us is smart enough to get where we want to get without help. And I've always been a big fan of investing in myself through people who can help coach me get there. And I hired tons of consultants and coaches and I think there might be one more in my future. Yeah. Very sure. Cool. So before I let you go, now I'm gonna ask you ten informal questions that I ask every, that I ask every single person who's on my show. So please just quick answer. No yep. need to, have to think about it too much. There's no answer that's wrong and feel free to answer whatever's on your mind. Okay? As long as you're ready for the answers. Oh believe me I know you're ready for the answers. Cool. So, First of all, what's your favorite word? Power. Yeah. What's your least favorite word? Victim. Ooh, <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: Expansion.
0: What Growth. What turns you off? Stagnation. Now, that's my favorite. What's your favorite first word? It's got to be fuck. <laughs> it, it seems to be a favorite among uh, interviewees. You're not the first. Yeah. Um, so what sound or noise do you love?
1: I've actually gotten really hooked on this app called Focus at Will, and it's got this ADD type one, and it's like chaos sound, but it just, most entrepreneurs are ADD, by the way, and I mean, it just helps my brain just, I'm, I'm super addicted to it when I'm working. What is that again? What is it called? It's called Focus at Will. It's Lama. like uh, white noise that runs in the background. And so I put my headphones in, I turn on the ADD type one and it just whoosh, laser wow. focuses my brain. Focus at will? Focus
0: at will. I'm gonna go check it out. I already ordered the book, by the way. Awesome. Kind of a great world we live in. So yeah, focus at will, there we go. But it's like an, an at sign. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, Glenn, entrepreneur, it's interesting. Yeah. What noise or sound do you hate? Probably like a shrill screeching on
1: a chalkboard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attend?
1: You know, I got asked this question, Glenn, by a guy about nine months ago, and I didn't have the answer. I don't know what else I'd do. I mean, really, I feel so incredibly blessed and fortunate. What I do for me is like play, you know?
0: You no, know, I know how you feel. But, you know, I, even me, I'd say I'd love to you know, be a pilot, you know, fly a jet. You know, some, a Hobby. Gonna...
1: I could see doing it as a hobby, but not as a job. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
0: What profession would you not like to do? I don't know if I could be a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> First a grade man, teacher. Yeah. yeah. A, a good, no, nursery. Yeah. You know, nursery. I yeah. While. My mother-in-law does it. I, God it's, it's impressive. I just, yeah. And go to work happy. Go to work. Yeah. Everything yeah. To do every day. Yeah. Chaos. I just pick up my focus at will and put on my ADHD one. You'd check out though, man. Yeah. <laughs> and the last question for you. Yeah. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: I'm going to steal this one from David Goggins. You know, he said he shares the analogy of showing up at the pearly gates, whatever that is. And he said that he had this vision of God saying, you could have been this one thing, but you turned out to be this overweight, 315 pound pest control technician, you know, just kind of like didn't really fulfill your potential. So, you know, God saying, hey, well done. You fulfilled your
0: potential. I don't- yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you. The bottom yes, of my heart great. for being part of this today. I think we need people like you to help uh, help nudge us along when we need it. Again, as I've said, I've always been a fan of coaching and uh, trying to reach our potential. And hopefully people will reach out to you uh, to learn more about what it is you do. I'm very intrigued and interested in wanting to move forward with that sort of thing. For anybody out there who ever has any questions for me about this, feel free to reach out to me at doc at com. I'm always there for you. And uh, again, I want to thank you for it on behalf of everybody. Yeah,
1: really honored to be on the show, Glenn. And, you know, I don't think a lot of CEOs really understand the impact that the way they show up and operate in their workplace makes a difference on people, right? The Mayo Clinic did a study to figure out who makes the biggest difference on an individual's health. And what they uncovered wasn't their primary care physician, but their direct supervisor. Wow. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, you plug in to work for most people, 60% of your waking life. And so the quality of environment they create, their practice really has the power to transform people's lives. I've seen it over and over, where the quality of the workplace that these CEOs and business owners create really has the power to make just a massive difference in the world.
0: So, And each of us, I know you are, and I know I'm trying yeah. to make that impact. Hopefully this hour has been really helpful for people to yeah. get out of it. And- and so for everybody else out there, if you need us, reach out to us in any way you want. But Until, I, until we meet again, uh, just have a great day and uh, try to make the practice in your life as good as it can be, right?
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Thanks. Take, take care, everybody, and uh, we'll chat soon.